Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring comedians Smith and Dale, Laurel and Hardy, and a salute to one of the great humorists of all time, Will Rogers. Will Rogers was perhaps the most famous comedian humorist of this century. There's been no humorist since Mark Twain that rated such flattering attention from the press and from his fans throughout the world. He left his brand of humor on every president and every presidential candidate of his time. During Franklin D. Roosevelt's campaign of 1932, Will had these remarks. We must have some 80 or 90,000 people here tonight. That's the most people that ever paid to see a politician. <laughs> now, here tonight, here tonight, Governor, you aren't allowed to refer to politics. They won't let anyone talk politics in here because this stadium was dedicated to art, sports, and uh, any uh, useful enterprises. And, uh, <laughs> now, uh, Franklin, <laughs> I can't call you Franklin and, uh, because I've known you for many years. I, you, you used to come to the Follies as a boy and see our show. <laughs> in fact, in fact you come there as an old man to see it, too. <laughs> and, uh, now, this introduction hasn't been very, uh, well, you know, it hasn't been very, perhaps very uh, uh, learned or very flowery, but uh, remember, you're only a candidate. <laughs> As a president, I'll do right by you. <laughs> and, uh, because I'm certainly wasting no oratory on a prospect. <laughs> During the opening of the Grand Coolidge Dam, Will Rogers was there, and even President Coolidge, known as the Stone Face, got a generous sampling of the Rogers ribbing. I was invited here by the governor, and I got to the bridge, and the fellow said, where are you going? I said, well, everyone's going to try to get in here. They say they're going to eat. <laughs> and you can't go in there. You've got to have, got to have a bag. And I couldn't get in. And I went back up here and filled up on hot dogs. <laughs> so uh, I didn't eat here today, and if I'm rotten, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here, I'm here as a Democrat to offset Miss Coolidge. In fact, Miss Coolidge is the best Democrat we ever had in the White House, anyhow. Really is. He's a lot of good. He's a lot of good. He was just a man we needed. He didn't do nothing, but that's what we wanted done. <laughs>
And on the radio, Will Rogers was just as sassy and freewheeling. When it was Will Rogers' time, everybody tuned in. Will would have fun with commercials, international affairs, and President Hoover all in the same broadcast. I don't get, don't get scared and start turning off your radios, huh? I'm not advertising or trying to sell you anything. If the mouthwash you're using uh, is uh, not the right kind and it tastes sort of like sheep dip, why, you just have to go right on using it. I can't advise any other kind at all. Now, Mr. Uh, Mr. Owen Young asked me to, uh, to annoy on this program uh, this evening. You all know Mr. Owen D. Young, you know. He's, uh, he's the only... Uh, uh, sole surviving wealthy Democrat. He uh, started the Young Plan in uh, in Europe. That was that every nation pay uh, just according to what they could afford to pay. See, and uh, well, somebody else come along with a with a uh, with an older plan than Young's plan, and it was that nobody don't pay anybody anything. And uh, of course, that's the oldest plan there is. And that's the one they're working under now. That's why we ain't getting anything from Europe. So when Mr. Young asked me to appear, well, I said, well, uh, I, I'm kind of particular. I said, uh, who do I, who's going who's to be the other speaker? Who else is on the, who else is on the uh, bill with me? And he said, well, I'll, uh, he said, uh, how would uh, Mr. Hoover do? Well, I slightly heard of him, you know, and I said, well, I'll, I'll think it over. I'll. So I looked into Mr. Hoover's record and uh, inquired of everybody, and uh, after I had uh, kind of thrown out about two-thirds of what the Democrats said about him, why, I figured that I wouldn't have much to lose by appearing with Mr. Hoover, so I'm here this evening appearing on the bill with Mr. Hoover. So uh, now you, uh, if you... Uh, uh, I expect you won't hear any more of Amos and Andy. It'll just be Hoover and Rogers from now on. He was big on radio, all right, and whenever he returned from one of his trips abroad, reporters would swarm around to interview him, and Will was always ready with a quotable quip for the next editions. I- I've been away for 11 weeks, and America may be a wonderful country, but it don't mean nothing to the rest of the world. There's no news anywhere. There ain't anything, and I don't know a thing that's happened, and... Uh, Mr. Hoover, now listen, don't let him knock Mr. Hoover too much. Just let him go see some of these other countries and come back. He looks good after you've been over there, brother. Land <laughs> <laughs> in Cairo. Oh, landed in Cairo, yeah. But didn't, didn't see the Sphinx. I had already seen Mr. Coolidge. I see you, there. <laughs> you had the true, thousand. You piloted a plane in China? Uh, did you know I fly? flew with a Chinese pilot? Now that's that's uh, that's the last <laughs> word in, in heroism. <laughs> I go. And millions listened in October of 1931 in an hour of national crisis. Here we are in a country with, with more wheat and more corn and more money in the bank more cotton, more everything in the world. There's not a product that you can name that we haven't got more of it than any country ever had in, in the face of the earth. And yet we've got people starving. They will hold the distinction of being the only nation in the history of the world that ever went to the poorhouse in an automobile. 
the potter's field are lined with granaries full of grain. Now, if there ain't something cockeyed in, in an arrangement like that, then this microphone here in front of me is, well, it's, it's a cuspidor, that's all. These people that you're asked to, to aid, why, they're, they're not asking for, for charity. They're asking, naturally asking for a job. But if you can't give them a job, why, the next best thing you can do is, is see that they have food and the necessities of life. You know, there's not one of us that has anything, but uh, these people that are without it now haven't contributed to what we've got. I don't suppose there's uh, the, the most unemployed, the hungriest man in America has contributed, contributed in some way to the wealth of every millionaire in America. It wasn't the working class that brought this condition on at all. It was the, it was the big boys themselves who thought that this financial drunk we were going through was going to last forever. They over-merged and over-capitalized and over-everything else. That's the fix that we're in now. Well, going it, our, we are, the people are liberal. Our Americans, I don't know about America being fundamentally sound and all that after-dinner hooey, but I do know that America is fundamentally liberal. Now, I want to thank uh, Mr. Gifford, the head of this unemployment. Thank Mr. Young, who, and I certainly want to thank Mr. Hoover for the privilege of being allowed to appear on the same program with him because uh, I uh, Mr. I know that this subject is very dear to Mr. Hoover's heart I know that he'd rather see the, the uh, problem of unemployment solved than he would to see all the other problems he has before him combined and uh, if every town and every city will get out and raise their quota what they need for this winter why it'll make him a very happy man and happiness hasn't been a steady diet with our president he's had a very tough uphill fight and this will make him feel very good and he's a, he's a very human man i thank you good night the country hasn't got down to where it needs a professional comedian for president, said Will, when his name was proposed to two national conventions. He preferred staying on the sidelines as the country's saltiest observer to the great American political circus. Our national conventions are nothing but glorified Mickey Mouse cartoons that are solely for amusement purposes. Though Will Rogers never held any higher public office than the mayor of Beverly Hills, he became a bigger figure on the Washington scene than many a congressman. And when some of his remarks were read into the congressional record, he told his radio audience how he felt about it. That's the highest praise that a humorist can have, is to get your stuff into congressional record. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, just think, just think, my name will be right in there alongside all those other big humorists. And uh, you see, ordinarily, you've got to work your way up as a humorist and first get into Congress. And... Uh, then you work on up into the Senate, and then if your stuff is funny enough, it goes into the congressional record. But, as an, but for an outsider to get in there as a humorist without having served his apprenticeship in either the House or the Senate, well, that's, I, I'm not bragging, but by golly, I feel pretty big about it. I, I uh, have 
compared to them, I'm, no, I'm an amateur. <laughs> and, the thing, and the thing about my jokes is they don't hurt anybody. You can take them or leave them. You know what I mean? You know, you say, well, they're not funny or they're terrible or they're good or whatever it is, but they don't do any harm. You can just pass them by. But, but with Congress, every time they make a joke, it's a law. Uh, you know? And every time, and every time they make a law, it's a joke. <laughs> Smith and Dale were a comedy team that have appeared in all phases of show business and for more than 75 years. They began in the early 1900s, and to this day they will, from time to time, do one of their routines on television. Here's one of their appearances several years ago on The Ed Sullivan Show. Let's go to a Hungarian restaurant to meet Smith and Dale. Say, Chef! Oh, for pity's sake, I'll bet he's out betting on a horse. Say, boss, uh, the mailman just handed me this letter for you. A letter for me? Oh, do you mind reading it? I, I, I haven't got my glasses. Come here, let, let, let me see what it says. Uh, it's from the law firm of Fishman, Tishman, Glickman, and O'Brien. O'Brien. 120 and a half East Broadway, New York City. To mm-hmm. the proprietor of the Hungarian restaurant. That's, that's me. Dear sir, we understand you have in your employ a chef by the name of Bernard Schnapp. That's right. We if got this it. is true, kindly have him get in touch with us as his uncle, Velvel, died and left him a legacy of $10,000. $10,000? Can you imagine that lucky nobody? Give me that letter. Can you imagine that? Hey, 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 Spark, where were you? I just had a good meal across the street. You can't even eat it, too. Say, come here. Bother me running here. Bother me running. I left it at a souvenir shop. What's the matter? Every time a customer gets through eating a meal, he takes their knives and spoons. They should take medicine after meal, not silverware. Yeah, that's what I say. Hey, Chef. Uh, yes? Mr. Mank wants to know if this is lamb or veal chops. Did you tell him to taste it? I did, but he don't know the difference. What did he want? Lamb chops. It's lamb chops. <laughs> tell him it's fish if he don't know the difference. Go ahead. Can you imagine? Yesterday he ordered a Hungarian goulash and he wants the orchestra to play the Hungarian Rhapsody. I suppose if he ordered a baked apple, he'd like to have the orchestra to play William Tell. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I got a little chance now. I want to make up the menu for tomorrow. Tell me what you need here. Put down six ounces of noodles, a pound of rice, three drams of oatmeal, a half a pound of milk. Wait, wait, what, what is this, an order or a prescription? Put down a pot of sardines, two prunes, and a half a dozen chisels. What chisels? What do we need for chisels? What? Chisels, cream chisels. No, no. You mean cream cheese. You should say cheese. You're taking pictures? Yeah, no. They have some nice chop labor. That's all right. We don't need those. We got enough left over from Labor Day. Hey, hey, what are you, hey, 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 what are you doing there? Don't eat up the profits. This ain't profit, this is banana. Yeah, that's banana. There is no profit in banana, it's all overhead. Uh, don't tell me about that's overhead after they put it away. Put it away. I'm putting it away. Right. See, see, you don't get me. I don't want you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Do you hear me? I hear you calling me. All right. But I don't see you. You don't see me? Grab you by the back of the neck. If you lose your temper, hold your tongue. I should hold my tongue. Every day and every way, you should hold your tongue longer and longer Uh and then choke. Uh 
Another comedy team that captured the hearts of people around the world was Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Their silent films of the 20s are classics, and their sound films of the 30s and 40s continue to be seen in theaters and on television across America. From time to time, Laurel and Hardy also made personal appearances. Here they are in Copenhagen, Denmark, in 1948. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for your very cordial reception. Stan and I would like to tell you how glad we are to be here in this beautiful city of Usbury. You see, we came... Stan just corrected me. I really meant to say Odensee. You see... No. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in the summer of 1932... Could I say Stanley... I am speaking to the ladies and gentlemen. As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, Stan and I had the pleasure of coming to Copenhagen in the summer of 19... Oh! If I remember correctly, it was quite warm that summer. <laughs> Will you pardon me just a moment, please? What is it? You're standing on my foot, I can't... Oh. up this edition of the golden days of radio. This program marks the beginning of the fourth year on the air. During these past programs, we've presented the most famous radio shows and personalities of the last half century, plus excerpts from the most remembered news and sports events of all time. You know, the American serviceman in all corners of the earth has always been supplied with the best in stateside entertainment, from the USO shows that travel anywhere and everywhere, to the 24-hour service of the American Forces Radio and Television Service. Which reminds me that this is your show, and your letters help us program the stars you want to hear. So just keep your requests coming by letter, postcard, or put a note in a bottle and drop it overboard. We'll get it somehow and shoot your requests right back. If you haven't got time to write, stick your thumbprint on a friend's letter so we'll know you're all thinking of us. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you back next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. American Forces Radio and Television Service.